podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inkel. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes, you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. You can start with your name and job title. My name is Daniel Gallen. I'm a freelance sports journalist. Sir, I brought you here because you and I are probably the most obsessed people in the world when it comes to Neil Wagner. I think you would argue that I'm far more obsessed, which is fine, (laughs) but I'm still putting you, I I still think I'm putting you at the very high upper echelons of Neil Wagner-ness. But I want to start with this. As a South African, do you think it's weird that South Africa either don't produce left arm seam very often or don't care that they don't produce left arm seam very often? Yeah, I have been preparing for a Neil Wagner chat and you've you've thrown a curveball. Uh, (laughs) Almost as a, like a southpaw would, a sneaky southpaw. Um, yeah, I do think it's weird. I mean, we know how potent left arms can be, uh, how how left arms are fast-tracked if they're any good because batters aren't used to the angle, etc. growing up. And if you can bowl above 135 with a left arm, you're probably going to be playing first-class cricket at some point. So, yes, I do think it's weird. I, and I don't think it's a conscious thing. It's not like, you know, we often hear, I interviewed Wayne Parnell about this. And I read a whole extended metaphor over 2,000 words about how he's so different. And, you know, he, he doesn't like to play golf or fish. He likes to model sneakers and, and take photographs and post them on Instagram. And I kind of used it as a metaphor about how he's a little different, not, not from the mold. And he also bowls left arm, which in South Africa is different and not from the mold. But really, it was I, I was mostly using his quotes. I, I, it's not necessarily something I believe. It's not like I think that Graham Smith or... Also, African conservatism is just not promoting left armers. I just think it's one of those weird anomalies, like why the Proteus haven't won a men's World Cup yet. I just think it's one of those things that have happened in cricket. So yeah, it's weird, but I, I don't think it's any it's any conscious uh, decision. I mean, I remember when I was playing, not that I was very good, but I played district cricket in South Africa, and I remember facing a lot of left armers. And for whatever reason, none of them, apart from Parnell, uh, was able to to burst through. Yeah, I, I played indoor cricket with two guys who played, you know, um, top-level schools cricket, uh, you know, and they played against, you know, the majority of the the team and, and knew them all quite well. And they were both left-arm quicks. And Brett Schultz, of course, and mm. and Neil Wagner. Like, there, it's not that there's no left-armers in South Africa, but it is interesting. Because I do think if there was – I'm not saying they're anti-left-armers, but I do think if they were a bit more like, say, Pakistan, who's thirsty for left-armers, right? I wonder if Neil Wagner – when he first starts to say he's going to leave, they go, well, mate, have you thought about going to this first-class setup? Or have you thought about going here? Because he clearly was one of the best young left-arm talents in the country. He, he, he's probably, what, maybe about the same age as Parnell, maybe a year or two on either side, right? And yet they mm-hmm. just let him go. Well, when he was, at the, he was at the Titans, and the players ahead of him were Albion, Mornay, Morkel, Andre Nell, and Dale Steyn. And... At the time, there were just six six first class uh, franchises, um, much like Australia, uh, only a few teams, and you didn't really see a lot of change. Surprisingly, you know, you, looking back, I don't have the, the the teams to hand, but there's I don't know why he couldn't have gone to the Warriors or or the Lions, who at the time I know didn't have a 
the, the strongest bowling. This was sort of before KG, KG Rabada came into the attack and, and led from the front and at the Lions. So there's no reason why he couldn't have gone, but I guess he, he figured, Hey, I'm, I'm, I could move to another province, but I'm definitely not going to be playing for South Africa. And look, when I spoke to him, he's, you know, he's not, he's not a guy who is anti South Africa. You know, you don't talk to him and he's like, Oh, that place has gone to a, I don't know if I can swear to an S hole, you know, just in case I can't swear. We did a whole episode about salt penises, and now you're worried if you could swear <laughs> on my podcast. <laughs> That's right. Because, you know, you, I, maybe some white South Africans will be upset with what I say, but I, 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 I've I, met too many white South Africans that have moved abroad and say, aren't you glad that, that you don't live in that shithole anymore because the ANC has run out to the ground and et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to go there. But I, Wagner's, not, Wagner's not one of those guys. But I think that he recognized that there was an opportunity to to forge a new life and See, see the see a new part of the world and play a bit of cricket. So, I don't think he, I don't think he he tried every available opportunity to him to stay in the country. I think he saw he saw an obstacle with the Titans and they and by extension South Africa and figured, you know what, I'm gonna go. If I'm gonna leave, if I'm gonna leave Pretoria, I might as well leave South Africa. And I think I think that was his his mindset. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And I also think that. We think about these things because of the way we've been brought up in cricket to think about it as, oh, he's leaving his team. But, you know, you listen to you know, Davy Jacobs and Grant Elliott and Neil Wagner, and they talk about other things. They talk about family life. They talk about professionalism. You know, all those other things that you forget that that's also what they're involved with, right? Like, and, and that's the interesting thing for me is he didn't just go the easy route of going Colpac, which which is really, really uh I think that's a fascinating part of what he did and maybe explains why he's never taken the easy journey in any particular, even the way he bowls, right? Mm. But he gets offered uh, contracts with Hampshire and Sussex. I assume they were quite low contracts, but also reading between the lines, they were obviously going to offer him more money than Otago was going to offer him, mm. right? But Otago mm. certainly made a bigger play of, if you come over here, you're not that far away from being in the New Zealand national side, whereas obviously he was second 11 cricketer for Sussex. He's a long way away from playing for England at that point. Mm. Mm, that's right, and the opportunity to work with Mike Hessen was a was a big character as well. He speaks really highly of of, of him as a coach. I remember, I mean, I, I wrote this piece. Well, I can't remember when it was last year, I think, before the South Africa New Zealand series, and and he he didn't speak of of Mike Hessen as as a as a coach who spoke about wrist positions or front leg bracing or anything like that. He just spoke of of, of him as a coach that just truly backed him that almost assured him that if you do come over, I see something in you that you can be a test cricketer. And, you know, you've spoken to enough players to, to know that that coach that just believes in you is worth 10 coaches who can correct your, your wrist position or, or what you're doing with your shoulders or, or how to swing a ball away. Just, just having that belief, because I mean, look, look at, and I'm sure we'll talk about him as a bowler as well, but to do what Wagner does at 37 with those knees to charge in and just be a bouncer bowler in an era where the, the margin for error to bowl a bouncer has been so greatly reduced. I think, I think beyond talent and ability, which of course he has. And we saw that with, with that spell, that spell up front when the keeper was standing up. Oh God, who did he get to? Was that first when he got Pope out oh, um, yeah. when, when, against England recently? He's obviously a skillful bowler, but I think he's just got that, that belief and that tenacity. And, and I, and I think a lot of that came from, from Hessen when he first moved over to a new country. I think he just generally deep down believed that he would make it. And and a lot of that is the coach. So I think in, in the Neil Wagner story, uh, Mike Hessen needs a, a lot of work, a lot of credit. Well, the interesting thing about that is he's picking someone who 
even if you knew anything about cricket, you weren't thinking, well, this guy's going to be a major player in New Zealand cricket in the next couple of years. Mike Hessen wasn't, you know, that kind of person at that stage, but obviously Wagner mm. saw something in him. The other thing is mm. I went back and read all the old, I had to find the Otago, I forget the name of the newspaper, but I went back and actually read all the old Otago news reports because when Wagner moves to New Zealand, it's not like it's on Crick Info, right? Like it's not a story. Right, mm. even the Hampshire and Sussex things, you can't find anything written down. It's mostly we know that he played second eleven cricket for Sussex, and then we know through Wagner he was offered two deals. Right, there's no media around it. But you go back and you read Hessen's comments; it's really interesting. Hessen saying this guy's averaging eighteen in first class cricket doesn't say that it's not uh, franchise cricket. Doesn't mm. quite tell everyone that it's the second eleven, but that's that's fine. But yeah. he's re- it's clear that he has looked through looking for um, bowlers or, or players with incredible records who aren't getting pushed in South Africa and to bring him over. That that alone is very different than you taking a few weeks, wickets in Liverpool and Sussex giving you a trial, right? That's a completely different situation where this guy is like, mate, I think you're going to be the best bowler in the world. Come here and I will help you do that rather than we'll throw you a contract because you're a left armer and you're already taking wickets in Liverpool. So he must have felt very wanted and at that point in his career, he wouldn't have felt very wanted. In fact, you talk about the political stuff. It is worth saying that at the time, he did say that the political scene in South Africa was part of the reason why mm. uh, he wasn't getting a go, which, as we've just said, Andre Nell, Dale Sane, LB Merkel, Mornay Merkel, as far as I'm aware, they all count as white South Africans. So uh, okay. <laughs> I don't think the problem was particularly race-based, and he's changed his mind on that since. But Yes. He definitely, I don't think, would have felt wanted in that system, whereas Hessen probably made him feel wanted in a way that no one else had. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And we must, you know, we, you say it was for the second 11, but because there were only six first class teams, you know, franchise teams playing, yes, there were a lot of pretty average players. And, you know, this is me, Daniel Gallen, with my very, very average cricket skills calling professional cricketers average. But there were some very good players playing in those second mm. eleven. You know, the the feeder team for the Titans called the Northerns, or or, or, the, or the Gauteng side that was feeding the Lions. You know, KZ and Coastal feeding the Dolphins. There, there were some very good players. It was a, it was in that period in particular. Maybe that was the last period where there were some very very good players playing in that system. And and I guess the the demise of that second tier is, is partly why we we South Africa have gone to the provinces and away from the six franchises. But at that time. Those feeder teams were strong, and you could bank that if a guy does well in that in that tier, he'll go up and and be ready for franchise, and therefore be ready for Test cricket eventually. So, when I interviewed him, I'm, I'm, I was trying to cast my mind back, and I listened to a bit of the audio. I, I did ask him about feeling wanted, about feeling ignored, and he wouldn't take the bait. Either either he hadn't contemplated it, or he overtly just didn't want to revisit those memories. But he but he wouldn't say that. He was he he never said that. I felt disaffected by things. I mean, he he kind of circled it and he said, look, I, I was I was frustrated that I wasn't getting my opportunity. But when I spoke to him, he never sounded bitter. You know, I've spoken to many South Africans that have left. And we all know, obviously, most famously, Kevin Peterson. I mean, Kevin Peterson is many things. Bitter is one of them. I don't I don't ever feel that, that Neil Wagner was bitter. I don't think he's bitter. I mean, look, he's had a great career, so why would he be? But... Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think if he was bitter, that bitterness has been 
sweetened over time? Does that work? Yeah. I mean, the problem is that none of us knew who he was beforehand to ever talk mm. to him right at that time. And even the mm. Otago newspaper reports, it's a couple of lines. Like, I don't want to slag off the great work that the Otago paper did, but they're not trying to get to the bottom of who Neil Wagner is as a man. They've literally been told to go to Otago. There's a new player that they're unveiling today and ask him three questions, right? And they did that and they covered it very well. And there's a couple of follow-up articles as well. But again, nothing, nothing that deep. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football? and basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry it's as easy as that if you have the skills you can turn ten dollars into 250 dollars with just a few taps easy gameplay quick withdrawals and injury insurance on your picks are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app ready to test your skills join the prize picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up right now Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The interesting thing is that, you know, for me, and I say this as a cricket person, when I want to say I, I'll get his name wrong, but I think it's Obeas Pinar, the the left arm all rounder. Oh wow! I may have made that name up, but uh, there was a left arm all rounder who I think was playing cricket in America last time I checked. But when he left, there was, I remember a lot of people saying to me, "That's a big loss for New Zealand cricket." Devon Conway was a big deal, even though they thought he was a failure. They actually still thought Devon Conway's a real player, and like you know, that's not an easy person to replace, even if he's never made any runs. You know, there have been other players as well. Uh, you know, Ricky Vessels is another one. You know, some of the Colpack players. Wagner, outside of Glenn McGrath mentioning him in his 2003 World Cup diary and spelling his name incorrectly, by the way, it doesn't feel like anyone really noticed that he had left. Now, I'm sure locally they did, but it doesn't make the same sort of ruffles. And even when he starts to be successful in New Zealand, no one's going, oh, it could have been. Everyone's like, nah, he wouldn't have made it here anyway. I think the fact that he was doing it for New Zealand and, and even Conway, who you, you're quite right to say felt like a loss at the time, mostly because journalists and the cricket nerds on Twitter had been paying attention to Conway. You know, obviously the powers that be didn't didn't consider him a big enough loss, otherwise, otherwise they would have done something about it. But I think because he played for New Zealand, if if he'd gone to Australia, I mean, people talk about Labashane slash Labaskachni as a bigger loss than Wagner, even though Labaskachni went when he was 11. Yeah. I think the fact that Conway and Wagner played for New Zealand the quote-unquote nice guys of world cricket. If you're going to lose to anyone, you want to lose to them, et cetera, et cetera. They, you know, look at their cute little grounds and aren't they all polite, et cetera. If it was England or Australia, I think Neil Wagner would would be considered a big loss to South African cricket. I think a lot of fans and former players would be bemoaning the cold pack and the quota system, and it would be part of the discourse. I mean, remember when Keaton Jennings scored 100 mm. on debut and Jacques Cullis said, oh, another one slips through the cracks. And it's like, no, hang on. Jacques Keaton's mom is English. He was always going to go there and you didn't notice the first season when he didn't score any runs and only now you're noticing. So I think if Wagner was playing for England, it would have been plugged into the culture war, but because he played for New Zealand, it wasn't or isn't. Mm. No, no, I think that's very fair as well. Oh, was Wagner's mum or dad is English. You wrote you know, in your piece. Did I? have forgotten, I? haven't you? Uh, yeah. I've forgotten, yeah. 
one of his parents. So that, that's another interesting thing that he chose New Zealand. So he's really was choosing the culture of New Zealand cricket and and everything else. But sorry, I didn't mean to throw you there. Well, you wrote that no, anyway. Okay. So I, I just searched on my uh, on my article. I obviously didn't mention that. I think you got that from someone else. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully I got that right. Or I just, just made it up. So he goes to New Zealand. And I think one of the most more interesting things is, is that at that stage, the Neil Wagner that we know now was very different. And as a bowler, he bowled more South African lengths, which were more hard lengths and obviously, you know, back of a length. So he had to pitch it up more in New Zealand. But also he was like Andre Nell. Like, you know, you listen to the early reports and you, I think hopefully this was in your piece and not someone else's that Trent Bolt mimicked him in his first first class game and started making fun of him on the field because they thought he was ridiculous. Yeah, that was in my piece. He was very honest about that. He, he basically said that he felt like a fool that he, because he felt that there was a South African way of playing. I mean, I remember when I played my first club game in England, I, I felt like a fool because there's just, it's an Australian thing. It's a South African thing. I don't know, because we see cricket as an avenue for our masculinity, I guess, more so than, than any other country. I mean, India do it, but in a way that isn't the same as the Australians and South Africans. The Kiwis just aren't like that. And I, I don't want to paint an entire nation and an entire cricket culture with one brush, but I think that's pretty fair that they don't view it in the same way. So, yeah, when he got over there, he was flicking. That's one for the South Africans. He was swearing, he was shouting, he was giving these evil eyes. And A, those aren't the pitches where you can bowl those lengths, as you rightly say. You get pulled in front of square of the front foot, as I think Pope did to him in <laughs> um, in in this most recent game, and yeah, it's, it's just not it's just not the way. And he could have thought, well, I'm going to do it my way because that's what brought me success. But fair play to him. He 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 recognized immediately. He said he didn't do it ever again. Um, he said there were occasions where he'd get angry and he would and when he have a word, but he wouldn't behave in that way. And I asked him why, and he said it's because he wanted to do as the Romans are doing. He wanted to be on board with that culture. He he had he had come over. He had been welcomed in, and I think his entire process. You know, he says that he he identifies it as as a New Zealander, and identity is is in athletes who represent other countries from which they were born. I find that eternally fascinating. I think that's one of the great things of our sport that we ask these guys to go out and represent a country and all its values and politics and history and wear the flag on their chest. But they could come from a you know, halfway across the world, right? But he fully bought onto that. And he's and he, he from that day that that Bolt mocked him, he said that he wanted to be a New Zealand cricketer in whatever guise that was expected of him. And and he's always done that, I think. I guess apart from bowling bounce after bouncer. It's interesting. He dominates Plunkett almost straight away. And so he does change his line and his length and, and becomes a really good bowler. But when he gets to test cricket, he doesn't really do that much. And, you know, my first thoughts were, I can't remember when I first started noticing that things were were different, but my first thoughts were, well, he's not quick enough and he's not mm. accurate enough and he doesn't have any particular skills that are test match quality at this point. And you look at his early record and to be fair, that's how he was bowling. Then he plays one game in, uh, uh, in Auckland, I think it was against India, where in the second innings, he just starts bowling bounces. And from that point forward, he completely reinvents himself in a way that no other bowler ever has. And I've never talked to him. So I know he's seen my video, <laughs> probably cringing through his eyes uh, at every mm -hmm. part of it. But I know he's seen the video, but I've never talked to him. He doesn't like being seen as the bouncer guy. I know that from a fact. I'm pretty sure Mongo wrote a piece or Barrett, one of them wrote a piece and he was, no, no, I'm much more than that. But when you look at the data, no one has ever bowled like that before. 
And I do wonder, it was that desperation to always be a professional, you know, trying your luck in England, trying your luck in New Zealand, changing to fit into New Zealand culture, all these different things. It almost needs that sort of perfect alchemy to become the weirdest bowler that we've ever had in Test Cricket. Yeah, it's interesting because I reached out to him after watching your video and I, I was armed with all the stats that you'd mentioned, what was at the time, since he's averaged 24.7 since he started bowling bounces. 60% of his 188 wickets at the time had come courtesy of the short stuff. How's, how's that little second mention of the bouncer? 15% more than anyone else. So, yeah, I was like, mate, you're the, you're the bouncer king. Let's talk about it. And he, I had to, it was almost like trying to contend with a, a Neil Wagner bouncer. He, he just kept, he, he kept evading it. He just, he, he just refused to play it. He wouldn't play the pool shot at all. And I was like, man, you got to give me, I, actually, I remember saying to him, I was like, mate, you got to give me something because... I've sort of pitched to my editor that we're going to be talking about the bouncer and I'll be commissioned 2000 words on this. So can you please give me something? And he just said that, you know, he'd give anything for his country. And if that's what is successful at the time, you know, if the, he, he'd assess the situation. It's not necessarily a go-to. It's a good weapon to have in the back pocket. So, and I found that quite weird. I wonder, I wonder if it's because, you know, if it's like the Eagles being asked to go on stage and they just don't want to sing Hotel California, you know, it's, it's just, which is so strange to me because as a fast bowler, especially a guy who came up in South Africa and who, who started his, his journey in New Zealand being the big alpha who, who, who screamed and mm. shouted, you know, there's nothing more alpha than, than bouncing someone out. So you would think that he'd want to lean on it. I mean, I've spoken to many fast bowlers who love talking about the bouncer. It's what they want to talk about. I can't think of another fast bowler who you bring it up and doesn't at least have, like if you talk to Mitchell Johnson, He's always got a bit of a smirk about it. Harmy is another one. You know, all these guys, Goffey will talk about, you know, s slipping them in. I can't think of another fast bowler who I spent a lot of time around who, when you bring it up, doesn't at least smile as if to go, yeah, at whatever. And you're talking about now the guy who has bowled the most bounces ever. And it's so weird. I find that juxtaposition so weird, which may mean that he's become more New Zealand than any New Zealander ever. I don't know how far he's yeah. changed. but. Yeah. This is one reason I wanted to do the podcast. Obviously, I've covered him a lot. But the one thing that I did feel is that he, he is this amazing mixture of a, a South African and New Zealander. And by South African, I, I typically mean proper Dutchman, mm. which is uh, the phrase that I think the first time I heard proper Dutchman used about Wagner was Sean Pollock when I was talking about, we were commentating together. He was talking about how great South African bowlers were. And I said, well, Neil Wagner's pretty good too. And he goes, yeah, he's a proper Dutchman. And I had to go and Google the phrase and ask all my friends what the hell he was talking about. And then afterwards, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty obvious. That makes sense. Yeah. So from that perspective, he bowls those crazy long spells. But then you look at his fields, and with all due respect to South African cricket, they feel like Jeremy Coney is setting the fields, right? And Andre Nell is bowling. Does that mm. make sense? There's mm. so much thought and skill and effort and everything in. New Zealand couldn't have done it on their own. And I don't know if South Africa could have done it on its own. Yeah, I love that Coney sitting in the fields for Andre Nell. Wouldn't that have been a fun thing? And that's just one of the joys of of international sport, isn't it? And 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 why the Neil Wagner story is so much fun because he wouldn't have done this in South Africa. Like you said, he wasn't quick enough on those wickets. He would have dug it in short and been pulled not in front of square but back at a square. He the keeper would have never been standing up to him. What, what was the point of this guy? And. I'm not saying that New Zealand wouldn't have won the World Test Championship and wouldn't have had this this remarkable team. You know, this this I don't want to call it a dynasty, kind of dynasty last three years, but <laughs> it wouldn't have had this 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 championship winning test team for that cycle without him. But he was an integral part of that, and and he he gave them something that no other bowler 
maybe not just in the side, but as you're saying, in the world had, you know, they, they had, they had this, this, this really potent weapon that could break, that could break games open when it was flat and, and, and the other bowlers were knackered and he'd bowl into the wind and he'd bowl forever. So yeah, it's a perfect mix. It's a perfect mix on him trying to be so, so Kiwi. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of, you know, I'm Jewish and, and, you know, when, whenever like a family member marries someone from outside the faith and, and they convert, and I guess it's with any convert to religion, they become so religious and I, I, I think you're right. I think, I think if he was in, if he stayed in South Africa and became the bouncer king, he would have got a tattoo of, of bouncer king on his on his pecs or something because that would have been that would have been a badge of honor. But yeah, it's I, I'm, the more I talk about, it, I mean, he's just not a he's just not a bowler I ever think about. You know, he's I don't I'm not going to tell my kid about him. I wonder outside of the of the cricket nerdy circles if people talk about him. But he he's such a fascinating character and he's he's such a product of the modern game. And yeah, I love him a bit. It's funny you say you won't tell your kid about him because I think that realistically, he's the sort of professional athlete we should be telling children about, right? In that things were just stacked against him. I mean, politically, where he was from, the first class structure at that time, all those sorts of things, uh, you know, going to New Zealand, everything else. I just feel like, and then you look at it, he really should have finished his career playing 20 tests and no one remembering him right? And yet the opposite is true. It's a remarkable story. Thank you very much for your work with him. And it's a real shame that he ruined your piece. <laughs> no, not at all. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makanda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Cricket. Podcast Network.